Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. All right, well, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, this opportunity to come together and fellowship and uh, spend some time with each other and kind of escape the world for a little bit. Um, to be with like-minded people and like-minded believers, so thank you for that. And Father, um, as we study um, these, these intricacies about spiritual warfare, help us to see it, how it affects our lives, what to do about it, how to stop it, and to recognize it. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, what I'd like to do is then uh, go, to the, go through the next section with you. Um, the last section that we dealt with um, a little clicker in there. The last section we did, we talked about safe, Satan's way of infiltrating the church. Now, um, once infiltration happens, then the next phase happens, which is division. Now, what I want to note about division as we study division, um, division... Uh, is like one, it's the seventh deadly sin. And Monica, I think it's getting it, too cold in here. I can, I can fill it up here. Is, your, is it, are you guys okay out there? It's cold, yeah. Um, sorry. Um, anyway, once you move past infiltration, then the idea is once somebody is infiltrated, they will divide. And division, again, like I said, is one of the, the, it's the seventh deadly sin, which is the worst in the list of the seven deadly sins in the book of Proverbs, because it causes so much havoc. Now, the, the principles you're going to look at tonight um, and how it, it, it gets accomplished will be the same as how it accomplishes in a nation, a society, a culture, how it is accomplished in, even in a family. How, is, how it is accomplished in a marriage. Okay, so it's not, I just don't want you to just to think of, well, it only happens in the church. It happens all the time to everybody. It even happens at your employment. It happens at work. All kinds of family dynamics. And so division is a big thing to understand. The first thing to understand is how to spot it, who will do it, and what ramifications happens if it, it is allowed to continue in your family or whoever or wherever, okay? So that's the first thing. Second Corinthians talks about Satan dividing the church, okay? So that's parcel and parcel. The first thing, if it's at your work, if it's at the nation level, if it's at a church, if it's at your family, is someone will start to gossip, Okay? And that starts becoming the problem. Now, gossip um, can take two forms. It can take the form of just flat-out lying, and that becomes a form of gossip. That's what we call slander, uh, when someone's just lying and, and using gossip to carry the slander or the lie. The other thing is people can have truth and then use that truth in a slanderous way by gossiping, okay? So you can have either one, whether it's truth um, or a lie, to start causing gossip. The other thing that starts happening with gossip is speculation. People then will gossip because of speculation. 
They're speculating on what they see. The problem is what they see is not really, most of the time, what is really happening. And so because people don't know the backstory on certain things, and they don't have all the facts, they just draw conclusions with missing information. And when they draw conclusions with missing information, then they take it and then use that narrative to try to figure out what, what, what is happening or trying to share that narrative. Now, here's the funny thing about it. Those who want to create narratives by simply piecing what they see together instead of knowing what's behind the scenes, do it for an intentional reason. They want something to be true. That's the problem. They want something to be true. So when a narrative fits in their way of viewing a person, whatever, that's where it creates the gossip. Okay? This is where we get conspiracy theories from. Because conspiracy theories are not based on facts and evidence. Conspiracy theories are based on, I want something to be true. So people make up conspiracies you know, about the government or whatever, and we know the government's evil. We already know that. And there's plenty of facts and evidence to prove that the government's evil. But when you go to conspiracy level about the government, and the, the information you have is not true, then you're wanting it to be true. And that's when you go too far. And that becomes conspiracy theories are another form of gossip. So you have to be real careful about that. Um, and so that becomes the issue. Okay, so say someone in your family doesn't like you, okay? But they don't have anything on you. You're innocent, you haven't done anything, but they want to make sure they demonize you because they don't like you, um, they didn't like the truth that you gave them, they don't like you calling them out, you don't, they don't like you putting boundaries on them, whatever the issue might be. So they have to form a narrative against you. So if they don't have really evidence, then they have to piece things together and put something together to create a false narrative about you. And it, it'll be anything. It doesn't make a difference what it is. They'll just do whatever they want and piece things together. Um, I don't know. They'll take anything. Um, I don't know. Let's say you say you lost your job or something like that. And they'll, put, they'll piece it together. Well, you know, Billy, um, you know, he can't hold a job. And, and you know that, you know, with the way he is, he's lucky to even keep a job. Not even knowing why. And it could have been the situation, well, we're just downsizing. We're, the company's losing money. You're a low man on the totem pole, and we have to let you go. So it's nothing negative on the individual. It's just what's going on with the company, right? But they'll turn it and say, see, he can't keep a job. And, and, and just create a lie based on not only just speculation, but them wanting that to be true. That's how it works. That's what people do. And unfortunately, people get really good at this, of putting things together that tell their story, that fit their narrative, but doesn't have any basis in facts and evidence. And that's the form of gossip that we're talking about. Okay, so once... They establish a narrative, okay? Then 
their job then is to spread the narrative to other people. That's what starts happening. This is why it's so deadly. And people, for the most part, will believe anything they're told. That's unfortunate about human beings. Most human beings just simply do not want the backstory or want to go further in the investigation. Now, how do we know that? Because we have people today in society that just do what the government tells them to do without looking into anything, without checking out facts, checking out evidence. They just do what they're told to do. Why is that? Why do people, they hear a story, because Proverbs 18 says, Proverbs 18, 17, I believe it is, says that you hear one side of the story, but you've got to sit there and hear the other side of the story before you make a decision, right? But why is that proverb in there? Because most people only hear one side and go with it. Why, though? Lazy? Yeah, that's one of them. What else could be the, the problem? You got laziness. I just don't want to do the, the work and checking things out. They trust the person who's telling them, maybe? They're what now? Yeah. Protecting their jobs, thinking of themselves, those kinds of motivations. Absolutely. Want to be part of the group, part of the end crowd, no doubt about it, because if I go against it, you know, what does that mean for me? You, know, you, see, you start realizing that, wait a second, behind all this stuff is there's a motivation, you know? And, and usually it's a wrong motivation, usually, okay? And, and when you look at that, then they want to create a posse. Oh, that's what they do. They got to go grab this guy, go grab this guy, go grab this guy, go grab this girl, whatever, and, and tell them this, hey, you know this, blah, 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 blah. And boy, you know, we, we, should, we should get together and do something about this. Now, In the spiritual realm, you should be able to identify that when posses are formed. That's where we actually get the word in Greek, heretic. When a heretic does, the, uh, does a heresy, he promotes the heresy by going one-to-one-to-one-to-one. To one to one to one. That's what actually heresy means. It's going, creating a faction within a group that believes certain things. That's where we get the word heresy. Okay. But... If you know, we've been studying Satanology, and if you remember, what did Satan do when he finally created a narrative against God? He spread it, is right. And what he did, it says he trafficked, and this is Ezekiel 28. And the, the keeper who is saying that he trafficked one by one to every angel and told them the false narrative. He went one by one. Think about that, okay? So what was he doing? That's where we get the word heretic. He was creating a faction against God. Now it appears, uh, according to Revelation 12, that with his false narrative, he was able to convince a third of the angels, if we interpret that, that passage like that. So 
These angels believed Satan rather than God, even, even though they saw God create. Because the son, the Benacha, Elohim, saw God create everything, except themselves, obviously. But they, he saw them, he, they saw him create the earth and the universe and everything, and they sang in praises to God. So they saw him do this, um, but yet they would rather believe Satan, that God's holding back on them, God's, um, we can become gods like him, and he's, he's, he's holding us back, and, and uh, then he's, he's creating these human beings that, that um, the plan is to create them, and then we're going to have to serve them, and, and you guys don't want to have to serve these, these other underlings, do you? I mean, that, we're, we're higher than them, but yet we're going to serve them? I don't want any part of that. You see what the, how the narrative went. So guys, you know, hey, let's do our own thing. We can become like him one day. He's just preventing us because we can evolve there, and he's just preventing that. So, so he trafficked. So when you see people in your family gossip and then get a coalition against the person, that, my friends, is very satanic. It derives straight from what Satan did. It is not a godly thing. Now you under start understanding why division is so deadly. It's because it's satanic. It can do a lot of harm. So what ends up happening, they get a faction against somebody, and what is the purpose of it? To ruin the person. To ruin the person to destroy their credibility, to destroy their reputation, to destroy them as a person. And that's what starts happening, to bring them down. Now, you might be the victim of this right now or have been the victim of someone doing this to you. Now, you can forgive this person, but you are never to forget you know, this whole line from the world says, forgive and forget. That doesn't come from the Bible at all. It just says forgive, okay? But the Bible actually wants you to remember. It wants you to remember what they did to you so that you're not foolish enough to do anything else with them ever again. Because even though there can be forgiveness, it doesn't necessarily mean there can be reconciliation or reestablishment of friendship, or even reestablishment uh, of familial ties. Because when someone does this kind of thing to you, it's hard to recover from. It really is. Um, I've seen people go through so much, so much um, gossip from their own personal family, gossiping about them, creating a faction in their own family, just destroying the family that that family can never be put back together again. That's how destructive it is. Now, let's take it to a, let's take it to a, um, a national level as an example. Look what they're doing to our country, okay? They're dividing our country through propaganda, but propaganda is nothing but conspiracy theories or lies. So the biggest conspiracy theory right now is save the planet, okay? That, that's the biggest conspiracy theory. And they're using that conspiracy theory, that propaganda, that gossip uh, that's going through all the media to get what they want achieved economically, um, with energy, 
and control over people. In fact, it's, it's, in the second hour, it's what they're doing um, in the eugenics program, uh, the Saving the Planet. The Saving the Planet and eugenics program actually go hand in hand. Um, and so that's dividing our country, okay? And then you see um, other divisions in our country um, with wokeness, critical race theory, those are all divisions. Those are Marxist tactics to actually divide. Um, and you do it through propaganda. Well, again, gossip is propaganda. It's not true. This is what the Soviets had developed. Um, and now we have developed it in our media to create division in our country, right? So let me ask you this question. So you, the outworkings of gossip goes into division. How does that make your family weaker? How does that make the nation weaker to use this to divide? How, how, why would division make anyone weaker? Make your family weaker, a church weaker? Yeah, back there. Wouldn't that come under totality? How's it, uh, totalitarianism? Totalitarianism? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's used by authoritarian governments, propaganda, stuff to divide people from each other. So when you divide people from each other, what does it create? Vision. Vision? <laughs> sorry. Vision? Yes, division. Oh, sorry. Yeah, division. So when you have division... Let's, let's, let's go dig down deeper on this. Okay, so you have division. How does that weaken? What, what does division actually do to weaken the group, the church, the family? I'll take it from a sports analogy. If a team doesn't work together, it falls apart. It can't, it can't operate as one. If a church has got to go in 10 directions, then there's no unity between the church. Who, what God are they following? Are they following this God? Are they following Brandon? Are they following Tom? Are they following, well, who are they following? If it's one God, one, if we're following Christ and what Christ says is what we follow. If a team breaks down, the team can never succeed. If it doesn't succeed, then everybody gets fired. Everybody loses. There's no unity. So it's that old adage, divided, united we stand, divided we fall. If we are, we are stronger, we stand together. Our country is weak now because we're fighting. We, we, we couldn't take care of ourselves if we had to right now because we are divided right now. Okay, not united. Good, good point. So when you're divided... You lose common goals and common values, okay? If you, uh, as a church, a family, a nation, doesn't share common values, then you can't, you're not pulling in the right direction. You're both pulling against each other, right? That's how it's worked in my family. Uh, years ago, we were on political uh, ends of the spectrum, but we were genteel enough to come together and share Thanksgiving dinners and have wonderful family gatherings. But as the politics got stronger and stronger, uh, certain people in the family started moving towards the ends. Yeah. And, and then the division starts coming in, and then comments are being made at one another, and pretty soon you're not even in the mood to eat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? You know, and, yeah. and from there it gets worse and worse. Yeah, good point. Excellent point. I saw some other hands back over there. Are we, are we good? 
Okay. Okay, so excellent point. So if you can create a faction, you get people with different goals and different values, okay? So like in our country, we have people that have like the opposite values of what America was based on, don't we? I mean, they're totally, I mean, Marxist, communist values, dehumanization values. I mean, that's why we're having such division is we have people in our country that do not share our values anymore. They were educated in our public school systems. They went through our colleges and universities, and they fundamentally are different in their approach to their worldview. That's why we can't have commonality. This is why America is at a pre-civil war mentality with each other. And it's bad. On the second hour, I'm going to show you some clips of how bad it is on these colleges' campuses and stuff like that, of really how bad it is if you disagree with them. So gossip goes that far. Gossip is propaganda. Gossip is lies, typically, or some type of alteration of the truth. And then it weakens the group because it creates other directions and values. Okay? That's at the core of it. Okay? So let's, let's move on to the next thing. Lying. Okay? This typically goes in with gossip, but like I said, um, gossip um, can have actually the truth in it. But then the other way to, to promote division is just someone just flat out lying. It's not true. And here's the thing. Some people have created an art out of this. They lie so well, they can look you straight in the eye and lie to you. They're really good. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're up at that level, like they're professional liars. And what I mean by that is they have figured out that in life, the way you manage life for them is to lie your way through life. When someone manages life through lies, they become an habitual liar. And it's like their native language. Remember, even Christ said Satan's native language is lying, right? He lies. He speaks lies. It's just normal. And we're seeing people lie with such ease as it is easy as breathing. That's how easy it is for the woman to lie. And they don't even care. Like if two weeks ago they got caught on a camera saying something, they will just turn it and never said that. I just totally lie, right? Or just lie to anybody. Okay. If you have people in your family like that, how do you have a relationship with a liar? You can't because you can't trust them. So like, well, I'll do, I'll do marriage counseling for people and you'll get a situation where one spouse is a habitual liar, just a flat out habitual liar. Okay. And they want to know why they can't get along. Well, I said, well, you're living with a habitual liar, okay? That's the problem. I mean, the, the, the bedrock of any relationship is, is trust, but what's the trust on? Trust on we're telling each other the truth, right? So if, if you're married to an habitual liar and the habitual liar won't stop, it's going to be a rocky road for the rest of your life. Because they will finally lie about big things, and you won't know they're going on until it's too late. And, and so you see that in society, in a, sorry, in a marriage that it, it just creates chaos. 
Well, right now, we have people in our society that are, are habitual liars because for them, the ends justify the means. And so they'll lie to justify whatever they need to get accomplished. So the, the big lie, again, I'll just use that as an example, the big lie, we've got to save the planet. That's a lie. But what is, what is the, the, the lie for? They believe that lie is good enough because it fools the population into doing what they want them to do, okay? Whether that's not having kids, not getting married, promoting the LGBT lifestyle, promoting transgender, and they, they cloak it under, well, we want people's rights uh, and transgender rights and LGBT rights and all that kind of nonsense. But really at the heart of it, that's not the issue. That's not the issue at all. It's a lie. The, the, the truth of the matter is they want control and power. It has nothing to do with them wanting uh, trans rights. It's just simply about getting power. So lying is a big deal. We all know what lying is, but I'm talking about the habitual one, okay? That just, they don't stop. They will divide a church. They will di divide your family. So what do you do with a liar that won't stop? Get away from them or get them out of the group. If someone can't be trusted and they lie, uh, you know, like, like in a marriage, okay, here's where we see a lot of habitual liars, with addicts, okay, addicts. Addicts are habitual liars because an addict has learned to cover up his addiction through lying and you can't typically trust an addict because they lie and they lie. And that, that addict has to eventually be broken until they start telling the truth. But if the addict has not been broken, they will continue to manage life th through lies. Okay, so what do, you have, what do you do with that person? You have to separate from that person. You have to get some physical distance sometimes from that person because you don't know if they're cheating on you or not. And what if they bring home a disease? You know, and and you know what I'm saying? If you're married to this kind of pattern, it's dangerous, isn't it? Because, oh, I'm not having an affair, and he's seeing prostitutes. So, you know, it affects people, right? So what you typically have to do with habitual liars is you have to remove them. You have to remove them from the Bible study. You have to remove them from the church until they stop. Remove them from your family until they stop. They're very, very dangerous because they will end up dividing your family. Backbiting. So Paul warns about this in the church, and obviously you can see the, you know, there's many warnings about backbiting. Now backbiting um, has to do with people holding grudges with each other, okay? And they have grudges. Now, they got miffed or they got, you know, their nose twisted or whatever it might be because someone did this, someone did that. And instead of letting it go, right, and letting it go, forgiving the person unto God and just moving on with their life, they hold it. And they hold it. And the way it comes out by holding it is they start backbiting the person. So anything the person does is negative, can't be done right, it's always done wrong, it's always you know, something that they have to point out to everybody. See, she's an idiot, look what she's doing here, yada, yada, yada. And they backbite constantly. They won't stop, okay? Now, 
What is the person trying to achieve by holding the grudge of being miffed? What does the person want from that? Superiority, revenge. Well, people say, well, oh, you know, Brandon, I'm not really going to do revenge. No, what most people do is passive revenge through backbiting. It's, it, it's what we call in counseling passive aggressiveness. So the person won't come out and say, you know what, they, 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 I didn't like what they did. They snubbed me. But I'm not going to go back and call them a bad name uh, to their face. I'll just do it behind their back. And so it becomes passive aggressive, right? And, and this is what Paul warned about because it divides. Now, what the person should do to not do this is forgive the person unto God and drop their pride. Because when we're offended, the number one thing that gets affected is our pride, that someone would dare do something to us in a negative way or a sinful way. And we're aghast that anyone would sin against us. Um, and therefore, that's where the swell up of, uh, of well, they need, to, they need to apologize. They need to grovel on the ground to me and, and beg for forgiveness. Um, that's actually pride. And so pride prevents the person from releasing the offense and, and issuing forgiveness because they want to see the punishment enacted. And if they don't, then they have to get at them little by little by backbiting and throughout the, you know, the person's whole life, basically by backbiting, to get back at them for doing what they did. Um, obviously, these are not Christian things to do, but this is how the world works, right? So um, a lot of this has to do with forgiveness. They, they simply refuse to forgive because they can't believe they've been sinned against. Now, here's the reality of things about this whole thing, about sin. To get to the point in your life where you think others won't sin against you, you're going to run into a brick wall about that one. If you think people can't sin against you and you find it absurd and you find it uh, shocking to you, then you're not thinking straight. Because the way the world is, you have the fall, right? So the world's going to be unfair to you, number one. And then number two, people have a sin nature, and because they have a sin nature, even Christians will sin against you. And so what you have to do is really bring your expectations down of people to where that's at. Because if your expectations is up here, like mine typically are, of people, this is the mistake I made. I put Christians in a certain category up here compared to the world. And uh, I was naive when I went into ministry thinking this, that Christians should be up here and believers will be here. I'm not that naive anymore. But when I first went, I was, you know, 27 years old. And, you know, you're greener than, than all get out. And you think, well, everyone wants to act good, don't they? Don't they? Everyone wants to be a good Christian. Don't? Everyone wants to follow the Lord. Everyone would do what Jesus told them to do. That's stinking naivety, man. Okay? So now I'm more jaded at being 50. Um, 
But no, you live a long enough life and you realize, okay, people are gonna do really nasty things to you and they call themselves Christians and they are Christians. Um, and what happens is if, um, w- w- what I did is I had these, this category that wasn't in reality, if that makes sense. So when a Christian sinned, it would shock me. I, I mean, I'm not talking about like, you know, they, they told the white lie. I'm talking like, you know, I'd be in counseling at 28 years old and someone would tell me their, their, you know, they, their, their husband or wife cheated on them. And I was like, wow, okay. I expect that out of the world, but not out of you guys. But that was wrong to think like that. It's totally wrong to think like that. Um, Christians do have a sin nature. Christians do have a new nature. Christians do possess the Holy Spirit. And it should make a difference. Should. Not will, but should make a difference. And what you start realizing is that key word is should. Okay? So, so what I had to do, because I was like, I, I went to um, Pastor Larry and, and uh, some of the other guys I was under, and I said, I don't understand this. And they're like, you're not even thinking straight. You're an idiot. Um, <laughs> and, and then they put me in my place, and they would say, what are you talking about? And of course, these guys with you know, years and years of experience. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, that's, you're right. I need to see this. So as I've got older, I, I start realizing the reality is expect Christians to sin, and that's normal. That's actually normal. I know I, I, I hate to admit that, but Christians can do the most heinous things. And it, it's within our capabilities to do anything, put in the right environment, the right situation or whatever, the right stressors, whatever, the right temptation. Um, any one of us could, could go crazy. Um, but what, what, it, but what, what you need to think about as far as how, this, how does this apply to us, though, to understand, to put the Christian back down here at this level instead of keeping them up here. Because if you keep that person up there or Christians in the cat, that category, you're gonna walk away from Christianity. You really, you really will because your expectations are way too high. Like I said, they should behave, Christians should behave, but they don't. And so you have to bring this back down here. So the Christians are like a little bit ahead of the, the culture about like right here. I'm serious. This is my estimation. A little bit, they're a little bit higher. A little bit higher. But I had them up here. But they're, they're right here. And again, that, that's, this is hours and hours of counseling, uh, all, you know, 20-something years of, of ministry. That's where my evaluation is. Now, I'm not saying that about you, but like if, you, if we go nationwide, you know what I mean? I, you're up here, okay? Right? I know my people. Um, they're good. They're up here. But the generalization I'm making is nationwide. I mean, think about this nationwide. If you put every... Everybody that names themselves as a Christian, where are they at with the culture, right? You look at the divorce rate between uh, non-Christians and Christians. They're identical. Why is that, 
right? You know, so with the stats, you can prove that Christians are not too far above the rest of the culture. Um, that's just, you know, and I'm not saying that everyone in there in that, that swath is a real Bible-believing Christian, um, and some of them are not even spiritual Christians, or they're immature or carnal, but nonetheless, what you have to start realizing is that other Christians don't expect too much out of them. Expect the sin nature. And that actually brings it back down. Now, if you, you have people that act great and they do, they do wonderful, that's a bonus. God bless it. And that's awesome. And, and you're now you're dealing with spiritually mature people. That's wonderful. For the most part, the people that are going to do this, gossip, lying, backbiting, are typically not your mature believers. Okay? They're just not. Because otherwise they wouldn't do something like this, typically, as a pattern of behavior. So um, you bring down your expectation. Okay, then once I bring down my expectations to where reality is, then I can easier dismiss when someone snubs me, when someone backbites me. It's, ah, I'm just like that. You know, you'll, you'll have the ability to like water off a duck's back. It won't affect you so much. That's what it started to do to me when I was younger in ministry. It affected me. I, I would like, I see that and I would become disillusioned. Like, I don't understand this. What's going on here? Uh, and it wasn't, you know, like, I, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm sinless either, but my expectations were wrong. It's just were totally wrong. And so what I'm trying to say is when you lower your expectations to reality, you actually can accept reality better and not to get so grumped up when someone snubs you or someone backbites you or someone lies about you or someone gossips about you because you're like, well, that's, that's why they need Jesus. And, and, and that's it. You know what I mean? You just, you just brush it off or like, well, that's why I need Jesus. That's why they need Jesus, right? And, and you just move on. You don't take it so hard. That's the issue. What pe keeps people in this, how dare they do this to me, is the fact that they can't believe someone would actually do that. They can't believe that. And they're in like a cognitive disbelief that someone would actually do something mean to, or evil to them. And it, it just, it makes them stuck. Now, the opposite is true. If the person that's been sinned against, let's say, let's call them the victim, doesn't believe they could do something like that either, then they're messed up as well. Right? How dare they do this to me? I would never do that to someone. Oh, yeah, you would. Oh, yeah, you would. If put in the right situation and in the right place and the right conditions, Satan could tempt any one of us to do anything if we gave in to it. I'm not saying it will happen, but you have to have the mindset of, yeah, man, you know what? I could do that too. I haven't mastered the sin nature. I haven't reached that point where I've become perfect. And, and that actually then, you start realizing, okay, uh, it brings everything down to, if I could do that too, then, okay, I, don't, I, I can't hold this on against them, and I gotta forgive them. And that's where forgiveness is found. What I typically see with people who won't issue forgiveness 
is they, they have too much pride in them that they couldn't do it and they can't believe others would do it. And that comes from a wrong vision and wrong pride. So people struggle, well, how can I forgive again? Well, the issue is you gotta, you gotta humble yourself. You gotta bring down everything to where it really needs to be and then you can issue forgiveness. Now, the other thing, obviously, with the backbiting, which is a form of passive aggressiveness, um, this type of person doesn't trust the, the justice of God either. That's another problem that's going on in them. Because if they did, they can hand it over to God and say, you deal with the justice. But typically, they don't because they want to see the person bleed to death, so to speak. Right? They want to see death by a thousand paper cuts. Right? That's really what they're doing. That's what backbiting is. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. Because this week I'm going to say this. Next week I'm going to say that. Next week I'm going to say this. Next week I'm going to say that. And it's just boom, boom, boom. Constantly. Okay. Questions? So, I was going to say, I know each individual ultimately is responsible for their walk with the Lord. But I guess what I was trying to say is uh, the Great Commission talks about going and making disciples. Do you think this is some of the reasons why these things may seem so uh, where your expectations are here, but then they really need to be down lower towards where the culture of the world is, is because of a discipleship issue? Yeah, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head because like I said, typically the people that do this are immature, right? So it does come down to a discipleship issue. Why are they immature? Now, I can, I can excuse a new believer, right? You know, they're green, they're, they're learning the ropes, and, and Paul gave a new believer three years to get up to speed. Three years. That's it. Paul gave him three years to get up to spiritual maturity. Okay, but you're to your point. Um, so we give grace to the new believer because they just don't know, okay? But let's, let's deal with the carnal or worldly believer that's been a Christian for 30 years and ought to know plenty of scriptures that backbiting is forbidden, right? They've heard sermons on it by the time 20 or 30 years go by, and they still do it. So what is that, that believer illustrating? It's not just illustrating the sin nature. They're illustrating spiritual immaturity because of a lack of discipleship. And you're right, Michael. That's the nail on believers that have been believers for a long time. Why would they do it? They just haven't learned. And it's on them. It's on them to stop and grow. The more you grow, the less you will do of that stuff. That's just the way it works. Because why? The more you grow, you become more like Christ, right? That's the whole idea of discipleship, to become more like him. So the more you grow to be like him, the less you'll do of that. It's simple, right? In that sense, it's, but it's harder to do. It's easy to understand. Yeah, go ahead. Along with based in the needing discipleship, um, wouldn't the gossip lying and backbiting perhaps be based in some jealousies? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's another category of all that backbiting. That's a good point. So um, uh, thou should not covet is where that comes from, right? Jealousy comes from coveting. The person wants what the other person has, okay? It could be anything, right? Money, cars, finances, spouse. It could be, yeah, you can covet, right? You can covet someone else's spouse. That's actually the, 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 the command. Thou shall not covet. You should not cover your neighbor's spouse. You should not covet your neighbor's animal, right? Or things or whatever. But it names coveting someone else's spouse, doesn't it? They're jealous because they, they envy what other people have. 
okay? So it, it could be their spouse, it could be their car, or it could be anything, money, whatever. Um, and the other part of jealousy is spiritual jealousy. Um, and that's a whole nother animal. Now, spiritual jealousy has to do with a person's uh, relationship with God. And the person's relationship with God <clears throat> is built on years and years and years of knowing God's ways, of learning about him, and, and trusting him for certain things in their life. And so they reach a point through all that hard work of a very, very tight relationship with the Lord, okay? So someone comes along and they, they see that and they want that, but here's the problem. They don't want to put in the time necessary to build that kind of relationship. So what do they do? They do shortcuts. Now, how could you do a shortcut to feign spirituality if you're not going to put in the time? What would you do? Hands. Um, I mean, I'll answer your question, but I also had a question. Go ahead. Your question is, what would you do to feign spirituality if you like, weren't seriously spiritual or weren't a believer? Pretend to, to show to everybody that you're spiritual, but you're really not because you're not willing to put in the time to build a relationship with the Lord, but you want others to think you're spiritual. So oh, I'd definitely you... read my Bible in public. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, what did the Pharisees do to feign spirituality? Uh, they made sure everyone knew how smart they were and how educated they were in the Bible. They made sure to only eat with those who they deemed to be clean. Yes. Uh. And when they prayed, they prayed on the street corner loudly for everyone to hear. And they made their tassels of their garments very long and their prayer shawls very long, flowing showed their spirituality. I feel like I've been to a church that's like that before. There's a lot of churches like that. Hey, uh, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Go for ahead. for those of uh, our congregation who uh, aren't familiar, when someone causes division in our church the way you're describing, what happens? <laughs> well, Wyatt, unlike a lot of other churches, we simply don't tolerate it. What does that mean? What does that mean? What is it? Um, we won't tolerate, so um, if it starts happening, and, and we, we typically deal with it, and depending on the nature of the gossip, the nature of the lying, the nature of the backbiting, uh, we send them packing. We're the very few that do. But my point is, when someone starts that, and Wyatt, they decide to stay and do that continually, we can, we can deal with you know this and that, yada, yada, but you continue to stay and you keep doing that, then I know what you're doing. And we're not going to tolerate. We've tolerated too much. For 11 years, we tolerated too much, and I gave too much grace to people. And you know what? It ended up burning me because I gave them too much grace. I should have put the hammer down immediately. When I saw. So now I've told the staff and 
everybody at staff is here, you see that, we're going to put the hammer down. I'm not allowing that junk to happen at Rock Harbor anymore. We have a too valuable of a mission. Um, and and I, I, you know, that's, this is satanic. So I've learned my lessons. I've been burnt too many times. Why? Not tolerating it anymore. I'm done. Any questions? Okay. Okay, let's go to the next one. <clears throat> oh, well, let me finish on spiritual jealousy. Spiritual jealousy is they want that relationship, but they can't have it. That's the illustration of Cain and Abel, right? Cain would not do the appropriate things that the Lord wanted. He still wanted a relationship with the Lord, but he wanted, he, he wanted to, to come to the Lord in his own manner. He wanted to sidestep it. Now, let, let's think about that real quick before I move on. What was Cain trying to sidestep? What procedure was he trying to sidestep? To have, he wanted a close relationship with the Lord, but he didn't want to do what was prescribed. You remember? It was the sacrifice, right? Okay, well, what's going on with the sacrifice? Because he says, well, I'll just make my own sacrifice. And here's my fruits of my land. And, you know, and, he, and, and, and it got him so mad he killed his brother because of the spiritual jealousy. So he wants to come to God with his own pattern, his own way, his own sacrifice, right? God blood. Yeah, God wanted blood, right? Okay, so here's what irritated him. So God early on demanded that you approach me through blood, okay, the blood of an animal. You make sacrifices. And um, Cain decided, you know what, I, I want to do my own way. But where did the spiritual jealousy come in, okay? Because that's where you have to bring an Abel into the situation. We, we know that part of Cain that he wants to bring his own sacrifice, okay? In order for Cain... To follow the procedure, he must go to Abel to get the animals for slaughter. You see what I'm saying? That's how Abel enters into the mix. Okay? And Abel follows procedure, and it just so happens that he raises animals to sacrifice, lambs or whatever it was, and, and so it becomes very convenient for Abel to do it. But Abel wants to follow the procedure. That means he has a, a tighter relationship with God because he has intimacy by following the rules. Okay? So Abel doesn't want to follow the rules. He wants intimacy by not following the rules. He wants to shortcut it. And he despises the fact that he has to keep going to Abel to get the sacrificial animal and then take it to God. So every time he goes to see Abel, it's a, rem it's a reminder to him that he doesn't have a relationship with God and that Abel does. And he wants what Abel has, but he's not willing to put in the time nor the procedure to have what Abel has. And so you know what he does to Abel? I'm going to kill you. That's how bad I hate you. Now here's the thing that will happen in your life. In your life, if you're sold out for Jesus and you're going for God and you're maturing and growing, the, the carnal believer, the uh, worldly believer will be jealous of you and hate you 
okay? They just will hate you. They will hate that you have a relationship with God and that you and God are very tight. So what they will do is not like you and then pretend to be spiritual by service. By service, by positions, by um, doing things in the church or whatever it might be, service. Uh, if it's in a family, if the person is spiritually jealous, they will become goody two-shoes in doing good works for everybody in the family. They will, they will be the one that takes uh, your mom to the doctor or whatever and takes, does this, and, does, and they're always doing goody two-shoe stuff. Why? Because they don't have a relationship with Jesus, so the only way they can cover that relationship up, uh, that lack of relationship, is good works. So they're always trying to do good works by bringing their own offerings to God, which are unacceptable, because the only acceptable uh, thing is Jesus Christ and his blood sacrifice. So that's how you spot them in your family. They're the, they're the do-gooders in the family. They're the ones that, you know, uh, you know, we're going to have the holiday traditions at my house and I'll sacrifice. They become the martyr in your family. You have that person? They're the martyr. They're the goody. They're, they're always wanting to do good for other people, but they, yet they don't know Jesus. Have you noticed that? They don't know the Lord at all. But that's Cain. Cain does things by good works to fake spirituality. You, can't, you really can't fake it, right? How do you fake? You have been a Christian for 30, 40 years or what? How, you can't fake that. And you've lived with the Lord and you've grown with him and you know him intimately. That's real deal stuff, man. No one can deny that. They see it. So they just have to fake it. But they hate you. They absolutely hate you. So when they show that they hate you, they will ad hominem attack you. They won't go after what you're really doing in your relationship. They'll just go after you and, and, and hit you personally. That's how backbiting works. Okay? Um, let's go to the next one. <clears throat> Accusation without witnesses. Oh, I got questions. Go ahead. Sorry. We had an online question. I think it's regarding forgiveness. It's Matthew 5, 24. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gifts. They're wondering how does that apply? That has to do if there's a, um, a, a I want to say a fight argument, whatever you want to call it, that your job is to seek reconciliation if it is all possible. Okay? So that's what the, the, the Lord is admonishing now, if you have tried to seek reconciliation and it's not possible, then you're done, okay? So what the Lord's trying to say is, as long, uh, get, you know, there's a passage that says, get along with people as much as it is possible or within your power. And that right there tells you, okay, if it's within your power, try to reconcile with the person. And if they brush you off saying, I don't want anything to do with you, get out of my face, I hate you, whatever, then you've done all you can do and then you need to return back to the Lord or whatever. So that's what Messiah was trying to say. You need to be proactive in reconciliation, but understand just because you're proactive doesn't mean it's gonna happen. 
but you need to be proactive about it. You need to be the initiator of it as a Christian is the idea, right? And a lot of you have told me, you've initiated, tried to reconcile with people, and it's not happening. They don't want anything to do with you. Okay, and then you're fine. Then you move on. Anything else on that one? Okay, yes, ma'am. So my question is, is when there is um, chaos in a family uh, and, and like you've prayed for relationships to mend in the family. Yeah. Um, and then you never see that. Uh, yeah. That's a hard one because that's typically the general pattern. So let's, let's, let's go back to you're praying, okay? You're praying for something good, but yet it's never happening. It is a good prayer that my family be reconciled, right? But what's, what, it's not that God's not gonna answer that prayer, but what's the, the key ingredient in that prayer being answered? The free will of the individual that needs to get their act straight, right? So what you'll notice, God, wants reconciliation. We're called ministers of reconciliation. He wants it. He desires it. He desires all to be saved. But let me ask you this. Since he desires all to be saved, will all be saved? No. He desires reconciliation in families. That's why Elijah is sent back to Israel to reconcile the hearts of the fathers to the hearts of the children, right? That's what Malachi 4 says of what Elijah will do when he returns. He's actually to create a better family environment for Israel to receive the Messiah. But that is dependent on the free will of the individuals in the family. God wants it. He wants them to cooperate because he can show them the way to do it. But the problem is, he will not violate the will of that person. Can you pray for him to bring circumstances to that person's life? Can you pray for him to bring people into that person's life and, and create an environment that would be conducive to make the right decision? Of course you can. That's what you're praying for. But he will not violate their heart just like he won't violate your heart. It's free will. And at that point, that's where you realize, oh my goodness, my family probably will never get together again because of hard hearts and people who won't cooperate. And yeah, you could have believers not cooperating, obviously, and you pray for their salvation, but they may not ever get saved. And then you can also pray for believers to, to get off their, um, you know, their, their trip that they're on and their unreality, but they may never get off because they don't want to change their heart. You have the ability to change your heart and God gives you all the tools, but he will not force it. And this is the sad part about families is that, once that division starts happening, it's hard to piece it back together again because people won't get on the page with God and even believers. And so your family becomes dismantled. I get it. I, I get it, guys. I mean, my family was dismantled. I get it. And you have to realize, okay, man, once your family's dismantled, you may not get it back, but God replaces that family with your spiritual family Okay, so you, you, he does replace. And then in the kingdom, you'll have the ultimate replacement. So if those family members are, are believers, they too will be in the kingdom, and you will finally have that ideal relationship with them once we're in the kingdom and the sin nature is removed. 
So you have that to look forward to. Now, you hope some of your family members get saved so they can be in that kingdom, but you will get your family back, again, if they're believers, and they will function correctly in the messianic age. And that's what you're looking forward to. In this world, there's too much stuff going on, too much hang-ups. And I get it, man. I mean, so my thing is, you accept the breakup of your family. You pray, hopefully, but if it doesn't happen, then your expectation is to go forward into the kingdom, and that's where it will happen, guaranteed. You get, all the, you get your family back at that point. Everything will be righted, everything will be brought together, and uh, people will act normal, finally. <laughs> they do. And you, you have to remove the sin nature for people to act normal, I guess. It's crazy, man. Anyway, um, one more thing, and I'll, I'll leave you with this. Accusations without witnesses. That's another way of dividing the church. People will make accusations, and they don't have any witnesses. Um, so people, this is the thing where I'm telling you guys, people will make stuff up about you. They will absolutely make stuff up about you, and they have no witnesses. Now, according to the biblical literature, the Bible requires two to three witnesses, right? Both Old and New Testament tout that. You have to have witnesses, right? And so... Um, for anything to be established, and then it has to be taken for the church, and then it has to be investigated whether or not these witnesses are valid or whatever, okay? And that's how they did it in the Old Testament. That's how they, well, the church is supposed to do it in the New Testament, okay? So when you have this kind of person, accusations without witnesses, they are, are trying to accomplish something. They're trying to accomplish a lie being perpetrated without evidence. Uh, we, you know, they don't have any evidence, so they're gonna perpetrate a lie, they believe it's true, they want it to be true, but there's nothing back in them. So, Christians play a funny game on this one. This is what they do, they use their spidey sense. And what I mean by that is um, they, fake, they fake the gift of discernment. Now, people have the gift of discernment, but not all gift have the gift of discernment, okay? So they'll, they'll fake, typically, the gift of discernment. I know what they're up to. How do you know what they're up to? Well, I just know. I believe the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart that they're up to no good. <laughs> yeah. Now, recently, I heard a story um, from one of our missionaries that that they were talking to me, and they're probably listening on right now. And one of our missionaries um, uh, was at a time in their life where they were at a, a Bible college, and her husband was in charge of the, uh, the I don't know, treasury, I guess you'd want to call it, right? And some imbecile comes up and makes an accusation against him and says, you know, I just feel impressed that you're taking money from the pot. And then they, they, they went and told all the administrators and this and that, and it was all based on, I feel you're taking money, or I, I, my spidey sense tells me that you're taking money. And it was wrong, because the guy wasn't, obviously. And it, 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 just, it was devastating to them, but... But what, what, where, where did that come from? It was an accusation without a witness. 
based on, I, I sense the Holy Spirit telling me you're stealing. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. But that's how Christians sometimes bring accusations without witnesses. I think she's doing this. You've got to know she's doing this. She has to be doing this. And they have no clue what the person's doing. But they feel it. Or God told them. God said to them. That kind of junk, okay? That's wrong. That's wrong. But it typically happens in Christian churches. It happens in Christian families. And they've, I, I, the Lord led me to tell you, you need to stop beating the dog, or you need to stop, um, and you're like, what? What are you talking about, man? You know, it's like, but yeah, people will do that. It is called, that, when people do that, that's called spiritual abuse. And they should be rebuked for that. Uh, Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.